All right, Jason just sent me the email from Gareth. Going to see what his pick for me is for the next episode. Excited to see it. Hybrid. Disappear here. Uh, I've never heard of a hybrid at all, actually. So, huh, that's interesting. No idea. See how it goes. This is the part where I, you know, I claim to be a, you know, musician of taste, uh, and I, that I listen to a lot of stuff, and now I just have a deep feeling that I'm going to have no clue who or what this artist or band is, and it's going to make me look like a complete pleb. Uh, anyway, so here goes. Let's find out if I'm a complete pleb or not. Owen Pallet in Conflict 2014. Uh, nope, never heard of Owen Pallet and never heard of In Conflict. So that's cool. I get to find something new uh, and I guess we'll see if I enjoy it or not. Open Welcome to Crossfade, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm your host, Matt Helgeson, joined by co-host and producer Jason Daphnis. Hey, Jason. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? Doing very well. Very excited. We have a, a great guest. Uh, we've been trying to work this out for a bit. We're super excited to have him. Uh, welcome to Crossfade, Gareth Coker. Hey, Gareth. Hey, Matt. Hey, Jason. How are you guys doing? We're doing very you know, well. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, well... Relatively well, but yeah, in, 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 uh, on the grading on a curve, we're good. So for those of you who aren't, um, familiar with Gareth, he is a, uh, a video game, uh, and film composer. He's done a bunch of video game soundtracks, most notably Ori in the Blind Forest, which is a, a great soundtrack. And I think that was nominated for a BAFTA game award for best music. Um, I think upcoming, you're working on uh, Halo Infinite, which, you know, congratulations, that, that must be a really exciting project to be on. It's a it's a small one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was curious. Did that feel when you got the call for that? What, what was that like? Because I, I mean, obviously you've worked on a lot of games. Ori did super well. A bunch of stuff you've done, uh, you know, for Ubisoft and other companies. But that you know, this is definitely a global video game franchise for you know decades. Yeah, I think there's 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 two there's two things about it. I mean, first of all, as you mentioned, like it it is an enormous franchise, and so it, it's it's obviously clearly going to have more exposure than anything I've ever had the opportunity to work on. And with a big franchise comes a nice budget and the ability to like you know go to go to London and record three times and like do do all kinds of cool stuff that's usually on the bucket list for for a lot of composers. Um, but I think actually for me personally, the biggest challenge is, um, I'm normally in the business of working on new IPs and creating new sounds. And this is really the first time I've stepped into an established franchise. And what it, what that means as a composer is you've kind of got to learn a new musical vocabulary and language, which you didn't create. Um, I got to go back and look at Marty O'Donnell's music, Michael Salvatore, Kazuma Janucci, all of the composers across the the Halo franchise to go back, look at what people liked, look at what people you know didn't like as much. Uh, why does it work in game? Why doesn't it work in game? 
And then, only then, <laughs> can you start to write the music for Halo Infinite um, and then eventually try to put your own spin on things. I think that was the, the biggest challenge for me, just coming onto a, a new franchise. Um, but of course, it's like truly an honor to be able to have a shot at composing um for for such a massive game um i should add i'm not the only composer on halo there's two there's two uh co-composers curtis schweitzer and joel korolitz um but between us um we've put together some pretty cool material um i've learned having done this for long enough now that you can't please everyone uh but i'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that we'll please the majority <laughs> right what? that that's great what like if I can just barge in, what what does that look like? Are you just listening to a ton of it right now, to a ton of old Halo music, or, or like what does actually like like research look like? Uh, I mean, research is is, but it's not just listening to the music; it's also playing the games. Uh, like it, you know, it. One of the things, one of the reasons why people love the Halo music so much is it, it's it's not just the music itself; how it's how it makes them feel in the game, um, and if you compare like halo to another first person shooter which has a completely different feel um i'm going to compare it to doom um i'm sure you're all familiar with the the re- two recent doom games they have a very unique mm-hmm. feel and they want you to they want to make you feel like a badass and that the demons are scared of you uh, and the music reinforces that now obviously the music in halo is not doing the same not serving the same purpose as the music in doom for for the slayer but the the feeling, at least when I play the game, and you know from from what I've seen of other people playing the game, and just talk to other people um, experiencing it, they they feel like Master Chief is kind of unstoppable, but it's a measured unstoppable rather than like hmm. the frantic, frantic, chaotic unstoppable of the Slayer. It's more right, measured, right. and like I can walk into any situation. Here's here's what it is: the heart rate stays the same. Hmm. that's that's what i feel it's like steady and confident whereas like doom is a bit more manic and haphazard but like it's this out of control like ball of energy that can take care of anything whereas halo is more measured and confident it's like capturing that's kind of what i'm looking for in the music like what is the general feel and emotion of what the music is doing because like the instruments and like the choice of instruments i mean that stuff's easy in comparison <laughs> it's it's really right. about like nailing the feel and the emotion of the gameplay because that's what made the original halo games stand out at the time um and it's about trying to capture that and put it into the new game and make it like valid for a game that's going to come out in 2021 like you can't write mm-hmm. this is the thing you can't write music for a game in 2021 the same way you could 20 years ago um just because mm-hmm. culture has changed tastes have changed get, the way we make games has changed um just look at uh final fantasy 7 remake you just you just couldn't put the exact same music in from the original game the same way into the new one and they did a really good job adapting the old music for um for the modern retelling of the story mm-hmm. um and that it's that kind of thinking is like what we're trying to do with um, trying to do with Halo Infinite. Um, and well, so between uh, between the three of us, I, th- I think we've managed it. We get a lot of help from three four three as well. Right. Right. You, right. When it, when it comes to you know going back to the old games and kind of experiencing those scores, uh, do you act, are you taking you know a lot of franchises? I mean, the most obvious would be like you know Star Wars or Indiana Jones. Do you take like like either you know rhythmic or melodic motifs from previous games and try to weave those in or are you 
or is it more just to get the feel? Well, you've heard, uh, I mean, we've released three tracks on the Halo YouTube channel, um, and um, it's pretty clear that we're referencing some some old uh, older material and some of the older themes, because, you, I mean, you've mentioned Star Wars. There are certain pieces of music in Halo that have that Star Wars returning theme as quality. Like, imagine... If we if Star Wars Ten comes out and they do the text scroll at the beginning and we don't hear the fanfare, I mean there would be riots in the streets. Like if we if we if we if that if that didn't happen, it's like there's certain things um, that become like part of the canon. Um, you know, even even Harry Potter, which John Williams didn't like, do the music for the latest movies. They're still using mm-hmm. the dun, 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 dun. Right. they have to. <laughs> you know, that's not well, a bad thing because it's a great theme. Um, so it's like so. So that's kind of you know th- there are the pillars of the music, and we kind of take those pillars and we're trying to put our own spin on them, but also keeping uh, the Halo feel. It's 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 a delicate balancing act, um, and I think. Yeah, I think we spent like quite a lot of time at the beginning just experimenting and finding out what didn't work. And then mm-hmm. at a certain point, you find something, a musical solution that does work. It goes in game. It's like, okay, that's it. That's the feel. And then you've kind of got a template to to, to work from. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, just speaking from a, another game that, that I've worked on, um, you know, maybe there'll be an Ori 3, 4, 5 down the line. I don't know if I'll do music for it. But They'll they'll probably get into trouble if they don't use the main theme, you know. <laughs> like right, exactly. Like you know, I I, I don't want to sound too big headed there, but it's a decent theme, uh, and and people like it. Uh, so people like wh- whoever composes it, even if it's me, if, if like if I dare to change, if I dared to change the theme too much, if there was a future Ori game, I'd probably the fans would be like, why did he change it? Um, yeah. and so it's, it, it is a tough balancing act. Um, so that, that, that whole experience on Halo has been, a um, a real big learning curve for me, just how to work within a musical language and vocabulary that someone else created, you know, almost mm. two decades ago. Um, cause it's something that I'm used to doing. It's, it's like, it's actually like the fate, my favorite part of my job is coming up with, the sound for the game whatever that is the sonic identity like i think you are successful in scoring games when you can identify the soundtrack within five to ten seconds of hearing it and that's not just about melody it's also about like the textures or the overall sound that you're hearing like inception for example doesn't have a melody but you know what it sounds like when you hear right. it right yeah. um, yep. uh, and it's not just the big brass sound it does like have a certain quality to it um, and I think that is the holy grail for for most game developers. They they are looking for that sound that defines them, uh, but they can never describe what it is until they've heard it. Um, and that's that's always like the most exciting answer to um, to try and find when when writing music for a game. And I I've discovered that once I found that answer, it doesn't really matter how much music there is, sixty minutes or three and a half hours, like there is in Ori Two. Once you found the answer, like churning out the notes actually becomes way easier because you found that identity. Hmm. Wow. Well, I mean, we look forward to Halo Infinite. It's going to be exciting to see how that, that franchise comes back. And obviously the role that, you know, your music uh, and as well as your collaborators uh, is going to play in that. And 
once again, I know I meant, we've talked about it a bit, but I, I do encourage people to check out Ori in the Blind Forest and also Ori in the Will of the Wisps, the uh, sequel there. I, I think they're, they're really great and unique soundtracks and obviously have been very critically acclaimed. Um, so we encourage you to check those out. Um, so we're going to switch gears here. We're going to get into uh, Garrett's pick. And uh, this was actually interesting. Usually I've, if I'm not familiar with a guest pick, I've at least heard of the group. And this is, was a, a occasion where I literally had never heard of this. this oh group. yes. I'm so and, glad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why it, it escaped me. I don't know if they're, I suspect it may be that they're have a bigger profile in the UK than the Correct. US. Um, and which, you know, this is a little bit of a side point, but I was actually thinking of, about this a, a bit when I was listening is that, um, and it's something maybe we can touch on is that, I do feel, even though it's kind of caught up here with, you know, big EDM festivals and electronic music becoming more popular, I don't think in the U.S. electronic has been in, in, in techno or dance music or, or drum and bass or whatever it, whatever that's been over the years, you know. It was never quite established, I don't think, in the U.S. to the degree that, that it was something that, that, you know, a couple, two or three generations of people in the U.K. kind of grew up with that being, you know... I think a more core part of the musical culture than it is here. I think it's not just a, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's not just a musical culture. Like over here, um, people don't actively listen to electronic music. It's all passive. Um, you know, the, the, hmm. o- the only time you're going to really see people listening to electronic music. I, I mean, this is, this, I'm making huge generalizations here, but like, sure, sure, um, yeah. <laughs> but like, it's going to be in a bar, in a club, like in a lounge. Um, and it, it is background. Um, whereas I feel that the, the songwriting quality of prodigy, um, you know, and, um, other hybrid, uh, massive attack, um, which was gonna, which was my second choice album. I was gonna pick an album by Massive Attack, um, who who are more well known. I think over yeah. here, yeah. Um, they were too well known. That's why I didn't pick them. Um, so um, they're more listenable. Like you could hear them in a public setting, but I feel like they are. Um, there's there's a lot of electronic music that comes out of the UK that is also something you can sit down and listen to. And I'm a big proponent of active listening versus passive listening is something that i don't think any of us do enough of including people in my field which is writing music i'm just like listen to an album a week uh like that's not much you'll get through 52 but it's like turn (laughs) off your phone and like turn off everything and just listen to the album and it's a completely different experience that versus like having it on the in the background while you're doing chores or sending emails or something like that um it's it makes it a completely um different experience when when you're when you're doing that um and allows you to listen to the music in a different way and your brain will interpret it in a different way because the entire brain is active rather than half of it yeah that's actually been a a, one of the great things about for me i won't speak for jason but i I assume he probably agrees uh just doing the show you know what i mean exactly puts me into that thing Mm -hmm, where like mm -hmm. you know i'll have like a little notepad and i might jot down it you know 125 something happens or you know so i i tend to engage in things in a different way because it's it's, it's almost this kind of show prep thing so i've actually found that a, a rewarding part of doing this show in general and I, I definitely agree with you um so let's get into i guess hybrid kind of who they are and, and more importantly uh why you chose it what what the what this album means to you and and kind of maybe how it i don't know if it influenced you or it was just something that you really you know resonated with you for whatever reason uh, where should I begin? So, um, yeah, Hybrid are a Welsh duo 
Um, they're, as you said, they're not very well known, um, but the, the the chances are actually quite high that you've probably heard their music at some point because they actually do a lot of film score collaboration, particularly with the oh. composer Harry Gregson Williams, um, who's done a ridiculous amount of film scores. Um, and it's the reason they do a lot of film score collaboration is because, as you've clearly heard on the album, their sound is unbelievably cinematic uh, mm-hmm. and very very unique, and that's. One of the reasons why I chose them is because every time I listen to their albums, I feel like I learn something new. Um, just on a, bef- before we get into, onto the actual songs, like on a purely technical level, I think, I personally think that they are unmatched, uh, in what they do, like in terms of production quality, mixing, string arrangements. Speaking of string arrangements, it's like that's, that's one of the links between the, the two albums that we've, uh, uh, that we've picked for each other. Um, including they, they were recorded in the same country. Um, <laughs> um, but like, it's, it's just the overall production quality. Uh, I don't know if you listen to the, the album in headphones or in speakers. I mean, it's a great listen on speakers, but in headphones, it's beyond wild, uh, especially in, especially in a couple of tracks. Um, and so every, every time I'm listening to any album by hybrid, but particularly this one, um, this one moved away a little bit from more of the straight electronic-y techno-y feel of their previous albums, which if you like that kind of stuff, it's great, but it's not as good for an entire album. I think this Hmm. is their best structured album um, in terms of like a good listen. It doesn't just have the singles. It's more of a, um, it's better as an album than it is like a, a, a collection of tracks. Whereas the previous their previous albums, it more just feels like they put a bunch of tracks together and shoved them out on an album and said, here you go, guys, uh, enjoy. Um, there's, right. I feel like there's more thought into this, and it's partially because um, this is also the first album that they had a third member. Um, the singer in the album, who is now married to uh, one of the main producers um, of the of the group, um, it's this is the first album that she's um contributed songwriting to and i feel like their music got a little bit deeper as opposed to just being very high quality uh bang your head music now there's like um now there's like a a, a bit of depth um to the material there um and a lot more variety on the album um right. i don't know if that answers your question or not yeah no that, that, let's uh, <laughs> absolutely let's let's get into it just so people can hear it i think yep. empire is the first track and this mm-hmm. i think you know sets the stage it's the yep. you know the opening track's usually a big deal on the album and i think this sets off uh, their sound very well So here, I you know, and like I said, my my frame of reference for electronic is probably more limited. But yep. I, I get a little bit of going back to you know, kind of maybe late '90s stuff. Like uh, I mean, Chemical Brothers or like Crystal Method and stuff like that. I don't know if those were things that these these guys were into. Um, They're definitely part of the same kind of grouping. 
Right, sure. okay, yeah, yeah. And this is maybe a little bit more, you know, kind of club or like oriented until it kind of changes, which is one of the one thing I do uh, appreciate about these tracks is that um, I think when you when you feel like maybe, well, I've heard everything, this is kind yep. of the basic groove, and then like it might be like three or four minutes into a song, they'll do some yeah. kind of transitions, which I think is kind of an interesting uh, element of their music. The, the one of the hallmarks of hybrid is that they. You know, I mean, you can hear it most clearly in this first track is that they they spend a long time on this initial B, um, mm-hmm. but they do spend a long time evolving their transitions. Like you'll hear the first element like come in, and then it just gradually evolves and gets bigger and bigger, and then transitions into like a breakdown, which is where we're at now. Yeah, and this this definitely has that, uh, you know. <laughs> there's actually several times listening to this this album where I feel like I'm in a rooming house in like Eastern Europe, and I have like some passports fanned out over the bed, and I'm like <laughs> methodically putting together a sniper rifle and cleaning it because I'm like on a, you know what I mean? I'm going to like assassinate somebody. I really like this transition. The strings are about to come in. Do you know, are are they using live string arrangements or are they using sort of like, you know, sample? Oh no, they're 100% live. They recorded with the Czech Philharmonic Orchestra. Whoa. Wow, so yeah, no no expense spared. They don't mess around, yeah. <laughs> Especially by... This is what number album in their discography? Uh, number... Uh, you, you've caught me off guard here. I think it's number five, but I'm Aha, gonna to, I, I got one over on him. I, I'm pretty sure it's number five. Um, so yeah, by the time that they've done this, they're pretty established. They're, they, they can throw in, around that weight and get yep. the Czech Philharmonic on their side. Yeah. Jason, I don't know where we're at in the track, but I remember at 240, I have in my notes that there's kind of a very cool transition to the sort of operatic vocal thing that I really dug. Yeah, let me pull it back because we're at four minutes. Oh, we are. Okay. Uh huh. <laughs> All right, starting just before then. Yeah, I just really I dug this part a lot. It has such a different feel when the vocals come in. That's cool. We're at 310. Was this the red track? Oh, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, because oh, there's no, there's no I, vocals I'm totally, here. I'm totally wrong. <laughs> Sorry. I'm totally okay. wrong. I, took my, I took my time stamps. No, 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 no. It's for the... Can you hear me? Sorry. Um, so, no so, problemo. 
so one thing that I, I also particularly like about hybrid is, is, and you kind of touched on it with the transitions already, um, the flow of their songs. And it's, it, that's something that's very important to me, especially like coming from the video game world. Flow in games is incredibly important. There's nothing worse mm-hmm. when a game takes you out of the flow. I, I look for that when I listen to music. And I feel like hybrids, builds, and ebbs and flows are masterfully done, um, like across the album. Like they always seem to know when to drop the beat or, or like take it out. They, they seem to know the mm-hmm. exact perfect point in context of their song to change it up. Like, and, and you've, you've kind of already referenced it already. Like just when you think you've heard something for long enough, they switch it. Um, and that is an art form that takes a long time to develop. I mean, there, there's some tracks on their early stuff. But there's one that's like 11 minutes long. I'm like, okay, come on, guys. You you, you, <laughs> you, could, you could have changed it like two, two or three minutes ago, but I get it, whatever. Um, but but that's that's why I picked this album, because I feel like it's the right blend. It it never overstays its welcome, and um, but it doesn't overwhelm you with too much material. Um, so you get a mm-hmm. chance to like get into it, um, but you don't, at least in my opinion, don't get tired of it. Um, sure. And that's aided by the insane production levels, again, especially in headphones, because like you always feel like there's something to listen to. There's always some kind of detail. And the thing, it doesn't show up so much on this track, but there's some massive sounding tracks on this album. And you're just like, how are they cramming all of this information in to the audio spectrum? And yet it has such insane clarity. Um mm-hmm. And right. that, that's why I feel like on repeated listens, it's still interesting to me. I mean, I, I've lost track of how many times I've listened to this album. Um, it's, I, I mean, I make a point of listening to it two or three times a year. Um, not just this one, but like some of their others too. But this is the one I keep coming back to. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's for that reason. It's just, uh, it's just a interesting listen each time. I'm I'm, uh, I'm glad you mentioned yeah. that because that was literally going to be one of my questions to you. I listened to the most recent of your appearances on uh, Emily Reese's podcast, yep. Le- Level with Emily Reese, uh, wonderful guest, and she was on our show once too. Um, but uh, you had gone over with her sort of the importance of in game composition, anyway, to you of sort of the uh, music needing to hit at the right time to be good or effective. That there's got to be some flow and structure there, and you went as far as like I, th- I think you mentioned how you were. like uh mapping out triggers within game like the development version of the game to make sure that uh the audio implementers knew where to put things and it's so fascinating to me that you that you apply that same process to just music that you're listening to popular music um does that help you like like better understand what you're listening to that you can like tent pull it the first time you listen to it and then later on discover what's changed between lessons yeah, I think that's actually a good way of putting it. I've actually never analyzed how I listen to stuff. I obviously just do what I think my brain responds to best. But you've actually, I think you've just, mm. I think you've just described my analytical process. Well done. <laughs> oh, um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the tent polling or signposting is is probably the the term I'd, I'd use. It's like you know, go here now with the music, um, mm-hmm. and I. I will be open and say that I struggle with music that is structured in an abstract way. Um, hmm. converse, conversely, I have no problem with watching films that are structured abstractly, like with weird editing or weird timelines. Hmm. For example, like Dunkirk is my favorite Christopher Nolan film. That's a topic for another time because that would probably be mm-hmm. controversial. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, but you know, the timeline's all over the place in Dunkirk. Um, yeah. Uh, but in music, um, because, for, because it's, it's um 
the timeline is is so definite and you're you're concentrating for like usually a three to four minute period of time maybe five minutes um mm-hmm. i i need the signposting I, I kind of have when i'm listening to something and it's probably because i'm a composer i have my own internal expectations of where i want the music to go and if it doesn't go there i can sometimes end up being disappointed and that's partially because my own tastes might be influencing what i want to happen in the music and so when it doesn't go mm-hmm. there um it's it's not satisfying and of course i'll be able to actually talk about that more when we talk about like the album you chose for me um because obviously my choice for for hybrid is like the way they structure their songs is the way i feel like i like to write my own music like the signposting and hybrid where things happen is where i feel they would happen if i was doing them or it wouldn't be exactly the same right um if i was writing music like hybrid but it would be close um they they reflect my musical sensibilities um and uh usually usually when i introduce people to hybrid because i feel like i am always introducing people to hybrid uh because no one's ever heard of them (laughs) um uh, i feel like that's the that's the thing they often take away from uh the music the most um because you know i I can be honest and say that like the their songwriting and lyrics are certainly not deep and certainly not on the profound level of the album that you guys sent me um but it's still um i find it's it's an album I can get lost in and escape in. And that's, that's also what I'm listening to, uh, listening for in my, my music. When I listen to music, it is a form of escapism for me. Whereas I think for other people, music is a way of getting in touch with emotions or problems that they're having. Um, and they're, they're using it to like, maybe connect with those thoughts Um, whereas hybrid is more of an escapist fantasy for me it's something like i can sit back and just get lost in and Mm -hmm. almost a form of meditation huh well let's uh i wanted i wanted to get to the track that my i was saying my last notes are for can you hear me which i thought this is one of my favorite songs uh it has a couple transitions jason we can start at the beginning but i also wanted to do uh there's something that happens about one minute and then also at 240 um, which I, I thought this song in particular, I, I, I liked the structure of it. So there's the vibe, very industrial. Do you want to jump yeah. ahead to one minute? Yeah, yeah. This was a this was a cool. Uh... Yeah, I kind of like the swell. You know, the swells underneath her vocals. With all the focus on structure, Gareth, and sort of where the song is going, yes. do you pay much mind, pay much heed to, you know, the lyrical content? It depends on... it. Whether I pay attention to lyrics depends often on my mood, because uh, sometimes I completely uh-huh. zone out when listening to um, listening to songs. Like, for, um, for lyric-heavy albums, like, I really have to be in the mood to, to listen to them. Um, so, I, like, for the album you guys sent me, I was like, I need to listen to this at a time that suits me uh, rather mm, than like right. I need to be not worrying about anything else because um, I I 
I took a quick look at it and I was like, okay, this is this might be pretty heavy, um, right. and, uh, <laughs> and it was. Um, so I was like, okay, I need to make sure that I'm in the right mindset to watch it. Um, sorry, listen to it. The um, the lyrics um, in Hybrid's music. Um, it's funny. I if I think if I was listening to Hybrid more for the lyrical content i would go to their most recent album light of the fearless because it's clear that the songs come solely from the new member whereas this is more of a Mm -hmm. this is this is them like discovering their new direction whereas their latest album light of the fearless which is a couple years old um that's more like they've committed to it um Mm -hmm. so um yeah i mean i i'd be more interested to sit here um because obviously i have my own leanings with this album and like what i listen to i'd be more interested to hear if the lyrics carried any meaning for for you guys um or if <laughs> the the production and everything else i mean that that section you just highlighted there right it's like full vocals you got full string orchestra you got choir and you got some massive bass and it's right. like it's it's like it's like a sensory and auditory overload and it's like does it mm. does it actually leave room for you to listen to the lyrics and and also to take that one step further, um, are the lyrics even the point of listening to it? You know, for me, honestly, I boy, I've listened to this a lot. The song is the called "Can You Hear Me." Yeah, I, <laughs> so Matt, I mean, could truly, you hear truly, me? <laughs> truly, to be honest, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head probably one lyric from this album. You know what I mean? Just because I, I feel like it, it's more. I mean, to your point, I guess to me, the vocals on the, on these albums, on this album is, uh, the vocals almost seem like a musical element to me. Yes. And I would say that Mm -hmm. the the lyrics, um, I don't think they're bad lyrics, but I I think they're functional. Yeah. You know what I mean? I I, I wouldn't say that they, they necessarily called attention to themselves in, in, in any Mm -hmm. way that was either, you know, lyrics can be either like really striking or on the conversely, they can be, you know, strikingly bad where it's almost jarring. You know, sure. certain songs, like, if the lyrics are bad enough to kind of take you out of the experience, that's, to me, then it's harming the song. These, I wouldn't mm-hmm. say, are either, wh- either way. I don't think the lyrics really added that much to my experience, but they certainly didn't detract from the, the overall kind of sound experience. And I kind of just experienced her in the same way that, you know, the string arrangements are there or the, or the drum programming is there or, or, or that, you know, it's sort of just another... Her her vocals add a, a texture at times when I think it's 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 needed, right? And it's not often like hook based either, you know. Like, Correct. can you hear me now? Is is literally I think maybe one of the few hooks I can remember from this album, um, and that's not to its detriment, you know. It, it like right. Matt said, it felt it feels like another production element, it feels like another instrument, uh, adding you, texture and adding, you know, yeah. Did we get to two forty when we were listening? We did. I'm sorry, okay, I, yeah, I wanted to I give know. you the chance to. To no, go no, back no, to that, that. but like that was new, that, that when the when the operatic kind of high vocals come in on that song, I thought that was a great example of what this album does right with vocals. I think that that and Gareth, you know, you can you you obviously are much more versed in music in general, but I think that they do a nice job of kind of. I guess it has an interesting relationship to vocals because it's it sort of it has vocals, but I, I guess I think of it as an instrumental album. Yes, I mean hybrid. Hybrid obviously was born out of instru- uh, being an instrumental group. Like they're they're not known mm. until this album and the most recent one for for being um, for being an instrumental group. Um, 
And it's it's funny you mention hooks because in the in the next in the in the following album, I, I mean, I spent a long time whether to pick this album or the most recent one because because uh, I was like, uh, do I want to give them the more instrumental one or do I want to give them the more songwritery one? I went with this one because uh, I think I think this is actually just a better album, um, even though the new one has some great singles on it. Um, there's some tracks which you, you want to press fast forward on um whereas on mm. all of these i don't um uh that said i do think uh there are two tracks on the album in particular that do stand out and where the lyrics are more upfront. um and uh one of them is original sin um like that's a song that is a song which is probably one of the most popular on the album because it has the the electronic club feel um but it also has a very simple hook um and it has um straightforward drops as uh, right. as as you would as you would call them um break my soul is this uh, um i think it's the track after on the album but, but break uh no it's two tracks after yeah break my soul is the penultimate track on the album it's this seven and a half minute epic it has no business being as long as it should uh, but it's again <laughs> it's it's one of those ones where it actually does work and and I think it's one of the songs where the lyrics are actually like in sync with the musical arrangement um, and and the overall feel. Um, but I do take take your point that overall it is probably an instrumental album first and foremost. But that's kind of who they are. Um, this album was for me the the transition um, from like full instrumental to starting to embrace uh being more of a, a songwritery group uh right hmm. let's uh let's listen to uh original sin and and then maybe break my soul just to kind of get a, yep. a flavor for what you're talking about Yeah, so you may want to jump because it's got it's because it's hybrid. There's gonna be a massive intro. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. you may want to jump to uh, like two forty. Yeah, you're right. This definitely feels like a club song more yep. than a lot of the things that feel more kind of soundtrack movie yep. soundtrack to me. This feels like a club song. Um, on a previous episode of Crossfade, Matt and I, uh, he brought up a good point about, like, are we qualified to really talk about, criticize, praise dance music if we don't go to dance clubs? You know, and it's it's sort of that split between the UK, US, sorry, more broadly Europe and US visions of dance music. Yeah. But, like, is this music for you, Gareth, where you'd just be listening to it while working uh, or, you know, I don't know, on a walk or something? Is this, like, everyday music for you? Yeah, I can. I actually find myself listening to this, uh, The Prodigy, Crystal Method, Daft Punk, um, uh, Massive Attack, Hybrid, Tricky, Gold Frap. Like, there's a bunch, there's so many um, interesting electronic artists, as opposed to the, frankly, EDM, excuse my language, shite that is over here. Um, <laughs> like, uh, I just can't, 
I mean, sorry to the man, but every time I hear a new David Guetta record, and he's actually French, um, but like, <laughs> I just can't stand it. Like, there's nothing to it. Um, this on the surface might sound like your regular soundtrack, but like when you view it in the uh, sorry soundtrack club dance track, um, <laughs> but when you um, but when you hear it, like we're in a, the middle of a breakdown section right now, and it eventually builds up. Um, it just builds up in a different way to the way you hear it in your typical club song. I feel like every time I don't go to clubs, but every time I hear the latest popular club track, it builds and ebbs and flows in the exact same predictable way that I've heard five million other club tracks. So it's 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 mm. the equivalent of McDonald's music for me. It's in one ear, out the other, and I don't remember it. <laughs> um, I think I just found my social clip for this episode. <laughs> there, you there you go. Um, um. This to me, and you, you, I'd be, I wouldn't be offended if you guys disagree with me. But this to me, it's slightly more interesting in that it still has the vibe of the club track, but her vocal and the production and everything else makes it more listenable. Hmm. Um, that's in, that's just my opinion. Um, and also, like, this is actually one of the only tracks on the album that has the hardcore four on the floor feel. Right. Like, I, I think might be the only one. Except maybe the second track or the third track. I can't. I, I off the top of my head, I can't remember. Um, but um, most of Hybrid's origin is actually from the drum and bass scene, which is much quicker than regular club music. Regular club yes. music is usually around one twenty-four beats per minute or one thirty beats per minute, whereas drum and bass is more like one hundred and fifty-five and one hundred and sixty. Um, it's much much quicker. Um, and Break My Soul. Um, it's weird because it has. It has the drum and bass element when the track gets going, um, but it's it's kind of soft as well. So it's like right. mixing like this soft cinematic feel, but the beat's still there. Um, so again, it makes it interesting to listen to. Whereas if it was just a regular drum and bass track, I'd get bored of it because you just all you're hearing is the beat. Um, yeah, let's listen to "Break My Soul," Jason, because that's kind of a, a more involved one. And, and also, I had a I had a, a, a transition on there that I had in my notes that I thought was really cool around three thirty. Um, okay. Where it goes to these kind of dramatic feel to more of yeah. an acoustic feel. Okay. You want me to jump right to that 330? Or maybe go back a little bit just to kind of get, you know, the idea mm -hmm. of what's going on. All right. But yeah, this song I thought was one of the more ambitious ones on the album. <laughs> So here, maybe I'm starting to hear a little bit what you're saying about drum and bass in terms of like the yep. the more skittering kind of. Yep. I, I don't know drum and bass well, but I, I know it when I hear it. That kind of like hyperactive kind of. Yeah, that that hyperactive feel. But this is the transition that you were talking about, right yep. in the middle of the drum and bass track there's this gorgeous transition which happens now and uh, you, we should play this until like it resolves because it resolves very clearly
You're ready. This very clearly a new section now. It's gonna it's gonna start building back though. And now this crazy cinematic transition's about to start. And then it returns with the main string hook from the track. Like that's that to me, like is hybrid in a nutshell. That like one and a half minute, two minute period. Um, like if you like stuff like that, listen to hybrid. <laughs> so, um, like, and that's kind of like the. That's why I like this track the most on the album um, because it's it's seven and a half minutes of ebb and flow. And it's stuff that you feel, I feel like it shouldn't work together, but it somehow does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that this ending section of Break My Soul, actually, uh, that string arrangement is, I think it's pulled from an earlier track, right? From City Siren? Like, it's, Correct. it's sort of yep. foreshadowed in that. Like, that's a catchy, I just got done playing the game Omicron, the Nomad Soul, the old yep. Quantic Dream game from yep. 98 or whatever. Is that what David Bowie? Yeah, David Bowie is in that. Not as much as you'd like, but he's there. Um, and it reminds me very much of that, like, Arabian neo-futurist yep. techno vibe. Yep. I just, I don't know. It was one of my timestamps that I wanted to call out, and I really love that it's brought back in one of the more melodic sections of this song. Yep. Um, here's a question, Gareth. If if each of these songs were disparate, if they were like two minute forty five second to three minute songs, <laughs> would you would you enjoy the whole album as much if it were like forty tracks and they were all different? Uh, no. Uh, it's, yeah. so that's a pretty that's a pretty straightforward answer. I mean, I I don't think I don't think I can ever remember listening to a, a radio ready hybrid song. Uh, it's probably mm. one of the reasons why they don't get played on the radio very much is because sure. you can't you can't get the full experience if you don't listen to um, if you don't listen to the whole thing. But it's interesting though because um, their work has been licensed so much in commercials yeah. because it has that high-end mm. glossy feel that a lot of like advertisers oh, how can we make our terrible product sound expensive um <laughs> so um like uh, that's a little bit harsh because because usually they're advertising pretty classy stuff um <laughs> but like um i i i because it's because of the um it's, it's mainly because of the production quality but in terms of like songwriting um, their songs wouldn't work as well if you cut them down. If anything, with you know, they, they'd probably work better if you extended them 
even more uh, but then you have to be willing to to commit to that period of time and wh- where most of their songs sit at uh between the four to six minute range um and it's funny i i find the same issue with my own music it's like every time i i i know that like the the, the radio radio ready single length is three minutes 40 seconds um and uh I actually find myself writing most of my video game tracks to be that length because there is something Hmm. magical about that length. Um, It allows you to have a couple of verses, a couple of choruses and a breakdown section. And I've I've talked about this a couple of times before, but like the way I write video game music fundamentally is based on song form. Like listen to any gameplay track from any of the Ori games and you'll hear a verse and you'll hear a chorus. Now a verse might just be something that is fairly ambient and have very little melody at all. And then chorus will have the melody verse two will be a variation on verse one and chorus two will be a variation on chorus one then there'll be some kind of breakdown section which is always amusing to me because there's always some fan who like is particularly enthusiastic about a breakdown section that i've written and they're like what was the inspiration behind this and i'm like it's the breakdown section man it's just filler Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i'm just using it so i can get so i can kill some time to get back to the chorus uh i i I, I'm I'm revealing the secrets of the trade here, but like I was going to say, don't don't blow your own cover there. <laughs> but uh, like that, there's there's something magical about song form. Um, that, that that there's a reason why the tracks are usually around three minutes forty, sometimes four minutes, um, and and generally not much longer. Those are the ones that get played on the radio because it is like the kind of like the perfect length for a song, um, and it's it's another reason why i like hybrid because because they're not doing that and i just don't think their songs would work as well i mean just a breakdown section alone of break my soul that we just listened to i mean that's two-thirds of a radio ready track and it's like you know so you so and it's a breakdown section so you've got to have a before and after and so and the before and after should probably be of equivalent length and that's well well hey then you're already at six minutes six minutes long if you put a two minute section before that breakdown and after so um you can't really um you you can't really condense it down um and yeah it's it's i mean one of the other reasons why i picked this album is because i think um it's uh i'll be honest i picked the album after like seeing what you guys sent me um so because okay. <laughs> i was <gasps> like okay <laughs> um, um. Well, it's actually what made me not choose Massive Attack as well. Uh, hey. uh, but uh, like this album, because it's more of a challenging listen in terms of like how things are structured. Whereas the album you guys sent me, um, the structure is very, very clear on the tracks. Like almost all of the tracks on that right. album are very, very similar in terms of length. Um, so I was like, let's let's see what people make of it. Um, so if you're in the mood for what I call a long form listen, um, especially with all of these songs, and you want to like. Oh. Uh, be transported away right. to an electronic orchestral paradise. Um, that's kind of what I was hoping you would get out of it. Uh, and if you didn't get that, then yeah. I'm sorry, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully yeah. you enjoyed something about it. Absolutely. So this album came out in 2010. What point of your career was that? Like, did you have some soundtracks under your belt? Did you feel like you were making a name for yourself? And was that like something that, influenced you in a lot of ways or was it just like this matches what i like i'm gonna listen to it a lot 
I discovered hybrid in 2006, my first year living, oh, okay. in, living in Japan. Um, but I, I hadn't really like started studying them or anything. I, they were just like, they just caught my ear. Um, just cause mm-hmm. I think cause of, cause I was just paying attention to, I, I still liked electronic music in general at that time. I was listening, you know, I was listening to chemical brothers, crystal method, the, the bands mm-hmm. I've all mentioned. Um, but they were a new one that popped up. I can't even remember how I discovered them because this is before the age of playlists and curation. And here's music we might recommend to you. Mm. Um, I, I, when I first uh, listened to this album, uh, I mean, I was nowhere in my career. In fact, I was uh, pretty close to being broke, actually. Um, hmm. And I just graduated from USC, University of Southern California. They have a film music program. Um, and uh, I was out in the big, wide wilderness um and uh, not really having any contacts or any gigs and uh great how am i going to survive in one of the most expensive cities in america um uh, and uh <laughs> i wouldn't say this kicked off anything in particular um but i think when i heard this album it it actually made me realize like how far i have to go because in in the soundtrack world um i won't get into too much detail but when you present like your work to a director, film director, or a game director, um, they're expecting to hear what it's going to sound like, like as the final product. But like, how do you do that with with like samples and digital orchestra and all of that mm. stuff? I mean, that is a whole skill set in itself. And the thing about hybrid, um, and I've kind of touched on this already, it's like on a technical level, I think they're unrivaled, um, like in terms of their in terms of their mix and production quality. And that was like the first thing that like stuck out to me. And especially when I was struggling in in 2010 as an as an artist, I'm like, okay, I may might not be the the you know writing the best melodies or the best harmonies, but if there's one thing I can improve, it's like the technical aspect of my of my music. And so I found them, and it's not just hybrid. There's there's other composers and groups that I you know I can um, listen to and break down as well, but. I'm like, how are they putting their stuff together? Like, and I and I would basically try to reverse engineer uh, some of what they're doing, um, whether it's the string arrangements. Um, it's, I mean, it's the easiest way to learn is to reverse engineer, and yeah. it helps develop your ear. Uh, I remember one one thing I did a takedown of while I was in university was um, the the in credits, the which are the end credits for the Incredibles movie, um, and huh. it's this really fast paced jazz thing, and I was like, right. I, I don't even know why I decided to do this because it seems like suicidally stupid um, to, to do it now <laughs> because it's so hard. Um, but I was like, I'm going to listen to this by ear and I'm going to notate it up for orchestra and then I'm going to have an orchestra play it to see how accurate I, I was. And I could do this because I was in a school, um, the Royal Academy of Music at the time, um, and I had access to that. And I was like, let's let's see how accurate I was. And I was pretty accurate. Now, it took me a really long time to do that but it's the easiest way to learn is by reverse engineering something. So most people would think of me as like, why would the Ori composer try to reverse engineer an electronic music album? And it's not about <laughs> that. It's it's about like listening to how music is layered, how music is structured, how things build, how things ebb and flow. And it's what I talked about earlier. Like I connect with this album for all kinds of reasons, um, but it's mostly, you know, the structure and the, uh, the the production. And I just enjoy listening to it. And I feel like if we enjoy listening to something um, as a composer, you probably want to break it down and try and figure out why you enjoy it. Because then mm-hmm. you might actually learn something that you can put into your own music. And if you, 
again, I am not comparing myself to hybrid in any way. But if you listen to one of my tracks um, from the end of Ori in the Blind Forest, Light of Nibel, it is structured in a similar way to a hybrid track. Like, the, the, the track is very flowing, there's really long builds, it's kind of euphoric, and then it has a complete breakdown uh, right in the middle. It's, it's the end credits track for the game. Um, mm-hmm. And it's full of sweeping string arrangements. Like, you can hear the influence. Even if I didn't set out, I'm going to make the end of Ori and the Blind Forest feel like hybrid, an electronic music group. That wasn't my thinking process at all. <laughs> but it's more like, I, I, I listen to it now, and I can hear like the influence of hybrid in there because of how they layer, especially the layering of different sounds, um, how they arrange all of their tracks and how they structure things. And it's because of that, like I learn an incredible amount from from listening to them because I feel like in touch with their music. But it's not only happening with hybrid. Like, I will have learned an incredible amount from listening to the album you guys sent me. Um, Just like I learn a lot when I listen to any album that I listen to actively, even if it's music that I deeply dislike, because sometimes I make a point of doing that. Like, there's genres I can't really stand listening to. Um, But I'll still, (laughs) like, try and listen to one or two albums a year of, like, of of something I, I think I won't like. But the thing is, even if I don't like it, the people who made it probably did love making it. And so I'm like, can I find the thing that they loved doing while they were making it? And if I can break down that, then maybe I can, you know, learn from that instead. And so that's kind of what me as a composer is what I'm looking for when I'm actively listening to music. Um, because if I'm actively listening, it means the composer brain is never going to be shut off. Um, and th- this probably leads on to a follow-up question is like, how can you possibly enjoy music when you can't shut off the composer brain? Or it's like, how can you enjoy a game when you know how the sausage is made, for example? Right. It's, it's, changed, huh. it's changed games for me completely. Um, I mean, I haven't played Ori and the Will of the Wisps uh, since it came out because I just have no interest in it because I spent hours and hours and hours and hours playtesting it. Um, <laughs> and I kind of already know everything there is to know about about the game so it's not going to be fresh and new um so so my reward is seeing other people react to it um but even like playing new games like when it's a slightly little bit unpolished it's like man i can see the smoke and mirrors right there i can see where the game is like about to fall apart and it almost breaks the illusion for me so it's like I like when I when I'm playing a game it's like man I hope I don't see the cracks in the seams because I mean if there's one thing that the last year has proven is that it's incredibly incredibly hard to ship a polished game not to mention mm. that we're in the middle of a pandemic um sorry I'm getting off on a bit of a tangent here but like um no. it's uh um yeah I it's it's the it's that illusion that like I don't I don't want it to be broken when I when I when I play a game um right. So yeah, once you know how the sausage is made, it, it kind of transforms like how you experience something, and it's the mm-hmm. same kind of the same with music for me. So I can't switch off the learning aspect. So I'm like, well, I might as well embrace it um, and see what I can take from every album I listen to. Cool. Yeah, that, uh, very oh. healthy relationship to the music you listen to. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I want to. Uh, I think probably about time to uh, change tracks yep. to my pick. But I, I, before we leave hybrid i wanted to make sure is there any track that's particularly meaningful to you um or musically or otherwise 
that we the break my soul one to. is is the one like uh that's i mean that's the one like if if you don't listen to any other track from this album like anyone who's listening uh just listen to to break my soul that's like uh that's the one which i feel like has the the best balance of like the instrumental nature of of hybrid's origin but also uh, kind of showcases where they go going forward into their future work um, with the with the songwriting element as well. Even though it's seven and a half minutes long, I feel like it's the strongest song on the album as well yeah. as instrumental. Absolutely. Um, so we're gonna switch gears. Uh, this this was a uh, my pick, which is an album called In Conflict by a Canadian uh, musician, uh, composer, arranger named Owen Pallet. Um, perhaps interestingly for for some of our audience, he actually uh, originally came out uh, making music under the name Final Fantasy. Um, but I would imagine at some point there was a, a a call from a lawyer of Square Enix, and so his his first album that came out under that name is actually now under the name Owen Pallet. Um, I, I chose this. I, I don't know why I thought of this, but it's an album when it came out. I was very very into at the time. And I was particularly interested because I think that that um, he and you share some similarities. He, uh, like yourself, I know you've studied uh, at, at, a, at a couple different schools, composition and scoring. Uh, he has, I believe, a degree uh, somewhere in Canada in in um, in, in composition as well. Toronto, he's, he, Toronto, yeah. He's um, he's he's played with um, or Arcade Fire uh, as a sort of a touring uh, musician. He's done string arrangements and other things for like uh, Mountain Goats and other popular indie bands. So he's kind of an interesting guy. And, and then on his, um, his obviously his solo music, uh, it's very, very, I think, composition driven and arrangement driven. And, and yep. obviously the product of somebody that has formal training, which I myself don't have. I'm an appreciator of music and I, I do make music to some degree, but this is the type of stuff where you can really feel the hand of somebody that, you know, can write scores out, can write notation, can, you know, write charts and those type of things. So I was, I was particularly curious what your take on this was going to be. Um, and why don't we play, uh, Jason, just play the first song just so, so people kind of get a feel for this because it's, it's a very different record. It's kind of bridges like indie rock and, and, and maybe modern. It bridges a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So let's, let's just listen to this real quick. And then I'm very curious to kind of get your thoughts on this. This is, I am not afraid. slight dissonance where the strings kind of yeah. they lower the pitch a little bit that's it that's cool to me 
That is an outstanding hook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the lyrics on this album is, is, you know, maybe in contrast to the last one, are very uh, kind of nakedly emotional in some parts and, and very striking. Almost to the point of sometimes being a little uncomfortable. I'll, I'll talk about the lyrics once we get to 221 in the track, uh, but we should go to there. <laughs> Very close. All right, so yeah, um, there's a there's a couple of things I want to mention here. I mean, firstly, like the the string arranging is just excellent, and just just because it's a link into what we've just spent like 45 minutes talking about. If that had been hybrid, they'd have had like a minute of strings to start with, and then they'd have had the vocal come in. <laughs> instead, right? You kind of get right. where I'm coming from now, yeah, like with yeah. that. And and it would and it would actually work. It would just be different because this mm-hmm. album. This album is all about the lyrics to me. Um, like, yes, there's some nice string arrangements. There's there's some fantastic instrumental work. There's some brilliant string work. But the voice is so upfront in the mix, and it's so exposed. Um, and my feeling, not just when listening to this song, but the whole album, uh, it's like uh, hearing a man's personal diary come to life. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. And this song, uh, to me, all right, the song is called "I'm Not Afraid," but actually, I'm not sure the the music itself actually communicates that. Um, hmm. I I think um, I I think there is a tinge of fear and an uncertainty in the music, and it actually slightly betrays the words. And I think that's actually the point of the song. It's like, yeah. He's saying he's not afraid, and I, I, I read up into like a little bit of his background and like uh, some of the you know uh, origins of these songs. Um, it sounds like someone who is not entirely sure of who he is um, or um, what he wants to be, um, mm. and the music is like the aspirational part of that, but it's not quite there yet. That's to me. So it's like yes, the song is "I am not afraid," but like there's a lot of baggage behind that statement yeah definitely that's I mean, just me know, no no <laughs> I, it's a very vul- I think vulnerable album, yes mm-hmm. if i had to pick a word um and, and maybe sort of naked in, in certain ways i mean emotionally speaking uh, right. uh another song that i think has a, another chorus that's i think a memorable one and also you know uh pretty emotional uh, i think on a path is a, is a great song this is my second favorite song on the album because there, there's there's two there's two there's two standout songs on the album and this is one of them for sure. Do we want to drop anywhere in on a path or just from the top? Uh, on the top, start from on the top, and then there's and then jump to like around two minutes, uh, two minutes thirty, because there's a, there's a moment at two forty four that's truly wonderful. And these these kind of remind me of of a cinematic in a different way uh, than yep. uh, almost in a very old fashioned kind of way. Yes, like like going back to like almost like a fifties movie or something. Yep. Keeping the order, 
Silver is nothing more than the displacement of water. It's a trick of the blood on the face of your daughter and all your son. The rising tide of intellect. Is that called pizzicato? Correct. Yep. Okay. Good. I was using that word right. He, he yep, seems when to the like string. That. It's when the string players uh, just pluck their strings instead of using the bow. Yeah, he seems to like that sound. You say you'll never go home, but the truth is you never left it. At the top of the canyon, we look down at what can be created. I think this this chorus is something that you know. I think this song is one of the ones yep. that's a real fan favorite. It also feels truly connected with the song title on a path, like not just the music. Um, the, the music mm. is in sync with the lyrics for me. Uh, there isn't the disconnect, um, the, which I think was deliberate in the first first song. Um, this this feels like this this song is a bit more certain of itself. <laughs> Yes, yeah. I mean, I, my impression is that everything on this album is very deliberate. You know what I mean? This yep. isn't just like, hey guys, let's let's get together and jam. You know what I right. mean? This is this is very like uh, feels very. I don't think it feels sterile, but it feels very you know thought over and yes. you know maybe fussed over. Get up before the drop. We're at 244, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I really, en- I really enjoyed this part. Um, and again, reading, uh, reading into the lyrics and the the background of this song, um, it's about um, him. Like, I think it's about him, like discovering a new place and like spreading out. And like this, just this part of the uh, song really like captured that for me it's it's very simple it's just like a simple musical device but really effectively deployed yeah i mean you're right he's definitely not afraid to just let instruments be pretty bare in the mix yeah Yeah, this is. I think this is definitely one of the standouts. Uh, what else? Uh, what's another one you'd like to to listen to? Oh, the riverbed, without a doubt. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This this is funny because I have in my notes that if there is, I don't think there's much musical common ground between these two acts. Uh, I think if there is any, it's probably the riverbed. Correct. Just because this is definitely <laughs> yeah. the most. This is really the only one I would call. I would term aggressive in any way on this album. Yep. It has a little bit more of a a rock slash electronic driving yep. kind of element. Um, so you know, this is probably the closest he gets to something that that hybrid does. Not that it's it's probably particularly close. Yeah. 
like this, you could feel. I could feel this in a movie. Yep. There is also a tint of nine inch nails in this. Oh, I hadn't heard that till you brought it up. That descending, well, I mean, yeah. this, this descending uh-huh. harmony is is uh, you can hear it in the inner parts. It's very faint, but if you arrange this using Trent Reznor's rack of synth instruments, it would sound like a Nine Inch Nails song. That's um, interesting. But I mean, that you know, Nine Inch Nails definitely you know is sort of they were so prevalent at a certain time that you know yep. anyone of a certain age, kind of whether you think you're influenced by them or not, they were sort of part <laughs> of your, right. You know, you, they were just part of the musical vocabulary and, and environment that was out yep. there in the in the you know mid to late nineties. I also feel like at the point uh, this track plays on the album. Uh, it feels like this is actually what he may have wanted to say for the entire album, but this is the song where he kind of worked up the courage to say it. Wow! Because um, a lot of the a lot of the tracks beforehand, extremely dark, extremely personal. I'm, I'm going through my I made like pages of notes while <laughs> while listening, um, and uh, I feel like a lot of the other tracks. Uh, always got to like level seven or level eight on the intensity level but this one is like the one that actually got to 10 um and uh, especially the especially with with how it closes because it starts out at like you know six or seven um he's playing that really aggressive string uh, it's, it's just a single violin i think um and it's it's almost omnipresent throughout the track um but it gets even bigger towards the end um this yeah this to me is the um the the high point of the album and then the the, the two the two tracks that close out the album um are are the kind of release after that oh and i stopped talking just when it got even bigger that was perfect (laughs) yeah i'm just trying to listen because i hadn't really thought of it as sort of a, a climax or a swell up to this point in the record but thematically Lyrically and sonically, it does have that, uh, all of those aspects. Yeah, I mean, this bit is just damn great. Yeah. 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 And I believe violin is kind of his primary instrument. Yes. When he played in, like, Arcade Fire and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a great one. So, so the the composer in me hears this track and is like, "Man, I wonder what would happen if Hybrid remixed this track." <laughs> like, because because again, you you can hear like the the similarities, and you know that th- there is crossover there for sure. Because this track is the most cinematic; it's the track they would have the easiest time remixing. Um, sure, because yes. uh, because you can hear the ebbs and flows in there. It's not quite as like uh, up and down because because it, it starts at such a high intensity level. But you can kind of you can kind of 
imagine maybe especially now that you've heard some hybrid you can kind of imagine what they might do with it and their production sensibilities it's like man i'd, I'd, be, I'd be it'll never happen but i'd be interested in hearing what the end result would be i'd like to think yeah. that when i die i'll be able to like go to music heaven and uh <laughs> be able to like mix and match like just put put the, put like a bunch of artists together in like a mixer and just see what comes out like uh, at the end and to see if it would be a disaster or not uh, but this is one of those <laughs> where i'd like to put the put the two together well you know it's it's like you know every everyone always like uh I, I see a lot of comments online it's like i wonder what would happen if hans zimmer and john williams worked together i'm like it would probably be a disaster but yeah. you never know right. may, yeah. may, yeah. maybe maybe it would work in some weird way um and and that's kind of what i feel feel with this and it's funny because the next track like uh infernal fantasy and it is it's it's very clear um ju- even from the title alone but even from like the first 15 seconds the the next track is the release um because it uh, it's the drug I, I literally wrote as my my only notes on this track uh it's the drug song yeah let's listen to it right from the beginning that detuned synth yeah i love those kind of like analog synth sounds yep This is the acid trip release after the <laughs> the the heavy after the heaviness of the uh, of the prior track. Uh, yeah, yeah. You hear that that galloping rhythm underneath. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's like happy or angry or or like aggressive or or passive or anything. It's just uh, it's just a journey, um, and it, it it's it is a release from the previous song, which is much more driving. This is even though there's a lot going on, it's lighter overall. I like that little bass line. Mm-hmm. The bass melody is great. Another thing that I'd say these two albums, like, is something I like in general, and I think they both do it in, in very different ways, but I just always find the, the juxtaposition of traditional acoustic instruments and electronics to be a very good texture i just i always like if it's electronics meets like acoustic guitar or electronics meets like string you know formal strings i I just think there's something cool about like the sort of synthetic texture and and a very like old-fashioned texture Mm. yep I'm sort of assuming that this was probably it's like he found this synth, this sort of synth arpeggiated kind of patch and then it almost feels like they wrote the song around the, the arpeggiator so that he uh, he owns a really famous synth called the ARP 2600 um, and that's all over this album um, it's mm. like it's really expensive vintage synth um, and uh, yeah I think he likes using it I don't blame him because it's if you're into that stuff I'm not but um Hardware synth nerds really, really love playing with their toys and then putting oh, yeah. them on as much <laughs> yeah. I mean, material I've, I've as possible. 
the ARP is a very famous. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. One uh, I wanted to touch on, Jason, was a uh, song for five and six. Uh, uh, maybe yeah. from the beginning, and then at, at about the three three thirty mark, there's a cool kind of interlocking parts that I, I thought were very cool. Um, All right. Here's this is probably the ARP again. Yep. Yeah this this just feels like a very classic kind of like seventies kind of. I mean, one of the interesting things about this song is it's actually in six time. Oh, okay. Yeah, wow, I didn't even. Yeah, yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, okay. six. Wow. Five and six. Even as a child, you felt the terror of the infinite, stenciling your diagrams. Of trilogies and pyramids on the face of the infinite. Sing about a poetess, hyacinth around her feet. That it will never come again is what makes our life so sweet. Do you agree? This what, one was interesting. You... Sorry, go on. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Th- this one was interesting for me because um, in terms of the album, I didn't understand where it fit in in the overall listening experience. Because um, hmm. it is, it is to me, it is extremely playful um, compared with the vast majority of the other songs. Um, and maybe, 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 again, that's deliberate. It's just a pure expression of, of joy. Um, but... Um, that I I didn't get that much more to, more from it. Um, it. It's it's very it's very pure. It's very playful, um, and there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Uh, but I did wonder like where it fit in uh, the overall album experience, especially because the following track is comparatively very sad. Um, so um, yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are on that or what you're about to ask me. <laughs> oh, I, I was just kind of curious what. Um how you felt about him as a vocalist because like i i i, <laughs> I think that it it's a very vocal forward album as you um as you said and i guess the, the way i would put it is that it feels like it shouldn't work but i feel like it does work yeah for so me, his, at least his voice has a unique quality it's very listenable um but it's also very flat like uh and not flat in terms of pitch it's just uh it, it's quite one note uh and and i don't mean that in a negative way because it does work contextually with the album and i think if his voice was overly expressive then all the other stuff that you've pointed out the the strings the the synths everything else well you wouldn't be enjoying them very much it's funny because that is actually a link between the even, even though this is more lyric heavy the voice is produced in such a way that it allows everything else to shine the same way as hybrid does. Yeah. And he does, he doesn't, yeah, you're right. He, he sings a very straight melody. You know what I mean? Yes. He, he doesn't do a lot of like, was that mel- melisma or melisma? Or, yeah. 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 You know, stuff like that. He, he's very like, you know, almost like he's, he's, he's singing a, a straight piano key melody. You know what if, I mean? If he sung, if he sung the U S national anthem, he'd sing it properly. 
Right. <laughs> oh, don't do him that dirty. Oh, yeah. Star Spangled Banner. That's a tough one. Don't get Star- me. Don't get me started on that. That's that's. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, okay. Uh. Let me let me just you know whatever. I'll I'll, I'll ruin our <laughs> podcast here. But um, the Star Spangled Banner. The thing that drives me nuts is Americans were so obsessed with people that do a bad job. Like if you do a bad job on a big event on this, the Star Spangled Banner, like we'll never yep. let it go. Yet that song, you're just setting people up for failure because it's such an unwieldy song, and it's got the, the like you got to go way up for it at the end. That's just yep. like out of people's range, and it's just mm-hmm. I feel like it's just it's it's an unfair test for c- certain singers. Yeah, it's not really a um, it's not really a singable song. I think I think you know I think when I think about a national anthem, I'm just like sing the damn notes, like sing what's on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, like seeing how it was intended like I, I don't think with uh, a song that is meant to represent the entire country you should be reinterpreting it that's my opinion um, so I you know I, again I'm not American um, but I know that like the best version of the national anthem is the Whitney Houston Super Bowl from like uh, 1990 that's, that, that's kind of the iconic version for sure yeah that is the but- iconic version because she doesn't screw around with it um, like yeah. if you listen to it there's, there's no extra notes and it, and it's like over in like 90 seconds whereas some of these ones they go on for like three minutes it's like dude the national anthem's not that long <laughs> like, well, like it's it's already self-indulgent you don't need to self-indulge even more like if you compare with the British one it's over in like 20 seconds <laughs> <laughs> Get over with. God no. save the queen and that's it pretty much right, um, right. but like um, the, oh the Sex Pistols version right exactly um, um sorry go on no 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 but i mean i would say as long as we're just talking talking national anthems here i think the one thing about whitney though is like she truly had the voice for it you know what yes. i mean i don't think she had to mess around with it because she could really go up and get the you know land of the free kind of stuff right and, and a lot of i think a lot of people have to either like you know what i mean they sort of have to negotiate around that part because it is it's just very Challenge, yeah, the, the range of the song is is not singer friendly. I, I do agree with you there. I, I mean, most the the reason why most songs are memorable is because they're actually easy to sing uh, for for the uh, average Joe. Um, and uh, the the American national one isn't really doable. It's why it's why whenever you go to sports events, like the crowd kind of like half heartedly sings the national anthem. Whereas if you go to any like European sports event, like the like the European national anthems are all fairly rigid and straightforward and the crowd belts them. But like whenever I've been to sports events here, it's like the crowd doesn't really know whether they should be joining in or not. <laughs> um, it's, it's it's always been fascinating to me because in, in uh, at least in Britain uh, and several of the European events I've been to, it's like they really let rip along with the singer. Um, but I think I think you've nailed it there. It's it's such a it's such a difficult song to sing. That said, um, you know, most of the singers they get to perform these things at the prominent events uh, are known for their singing. So, well, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not my job to sing this. You know, it's, like, I don't get paid to right. sing the national anthem. Yeah, so. if you sung it and screwed around with it, right. I mean, maybe maybe you're an no. excellent singer. I no, don't know. I'm, I'm a terrible Maybe you singer. could demo for us now. No, I'm kidding. No, um, no, no, but no, no, like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, it's. Um, I, I don't mind like a little artistic license, but it's like when when we're adding like a hundred notes to 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 the thing, it's like come on, man! Like let's just <laughs> let's move along, please. I, I think I think it's the speed that bothers me the most. Like I I'd mind the extra notes less if we just got on with it. Um, I feel sorry for the players who are standing there and have to like they've warmed up 
and it's like freezing outside and they're like waiting for like five minutes for this person to finish their uh peacocking display <laughs> all right well okay we, sorry we, ran we've over insulted, we've insulted this great <laughs> land of ours now enough i think let's let's get it back to uh to talking about owen pallet um yes sorry. I, is there, is, uh no hey i brought it up it's you know hey I'm, I'm driving this off the cliff so um how about in conflict the title track i really i like this uh i like the synth sounds on this a lot um i just like i must like the arp because i i just i i love i love all the synth sounds on this There's something about that, like these analog synths that's sort of like, I don't know. We talked about this a little bit. We did a Kraftwerk episode and it's almost like this sort of nostalgia for the future, if that makes sense. Like, or it's sort of, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but. So, so one of the, one of the cool things about analog synths and uh, why they can be so special is because they are, um, they're analog. So you can't really like recall anything. So they're very unstable. Um, So, you know, he could try to record this again, and he'd probably get it pretty close, um, but it's not going to be exactly the same because circuitry behaves slightly differently each time you know you operate it, and that's why analog synths are popular because um, they function slightly differently each time. Um, and that instability is what makes them interesting. Um, at least that's my observation. A fire in the dark. kind of has a drop of sorts yep. coming up I really like his bass line well he puts them really up front as well Um, uh, this is more of an overall question about the album as sort of a whole and maybe him as an arranger, but um, I'm assuming that, that you know, string arrangements, obviously, they're very common and, and, and they many, many composers do them, but I would imagine everyone sort of, like, has a personal way that they sort of, yep. they combine different, you know, tonalities and different notes and, and I guess what are your impressions of him, uh, maybe in comparison to yourself or hybrid or whoever that is, as as a string arranger? Okay, so it's 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 actually not just the arrangement, but also how it's recorded. Um, that is that is that is actually the thing that jumps out the most. So, um, if you compare comparing with hybrids, the easiest hybrids is big, massive, expansive sound. It's very wide, panoramic, whereas so so when I'm thinking about where the microphones are placed in the recording room. They're going to be using like the the ambient microphones, which are situated really far away from the string group, and maybe some of the ones that basically all the microphones that aren't close to the instruments um, that capture more of the room itself rather than the instrument. I think um, Owen Pallet's way of recording the instruments 
you're hearing more of the instruments themselves. Like, you really hear the grit of the instrument. You really hear the intimacy, the personality. Uh, and so when you're recording uh, an orchestra or a string section, you normally have a mix of these room microphones that pick up the room sound, and then you have the spot mics, which are placed right next to the instrument, so you capture the actual instrument itself. And on most soundtracks, pop albums, you generally have a blend of the two. Um, but it really depends on what you're going for. On this album, pretty much across the board, except maybe the very first track, like the very opening like string arrangement, I think across the board on this album, the strings are almost using none of the room sound, whatever room they recorded in. And it's all that like dry, gritty, close-up sound. And that makes it feel more intimate, like the string player is right next to you. And the whole album, that kind of reflect is reflective of the whole album. Like all of the sounds feel very personal, very intimate. I think that's what he's going for. So, you know, when I said he should remix the the Riverbed track um, with, with Hybrid, it doesn't mean it would work because I think the song would just, I, I, I'd probably enjoy it more like on a, you know, a cinematic level because it'd be wide and expansive, but it actually might be a disservice to the song because it would actually make it less personal. Um, and that's what the string arranging does in this. Um, it's, 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 I think it's less about the, the notes and the harmonic choices. It's more about like capturing a specific, uh, tone of the instrument itself. Yeah. I'm curious. And, and this is sort of, just based on a few comments you made actually here and, and also when we were doing hybrid, but um, I get the sense that you sort of, um, and I'm assuming this is a product of the fact that, you know, you're a working arranger and you, you're familiar with studios and, and, and yeah. like you were just make, it seems like you, you really respond not only to music, but also sort of um, engineering yes. production, sound quality, mastering and all those things. It, it, you sound like you really, um, part of what you get out of music is not only the notes and the singing and the words and the, the actual particulars of the music, but sort of how it, it sounds on just a purely sonic or audiophile level or whatever you want to say it. It's, it's, uh, you were, you were good until the audiophile part. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not, so, so the thing about how something sounds, that is actually a big part of the record because that is actually an artistic choice. Um, it's not about like getting things to just because I like hybrid and it's like the most expansive, you know, cinematic thing that I think I've ever heard. Um, it doesn't mean it's necessarily produced better than Owen Palette album, um, even though like sonically it might be more impressive to listen to. Um, what Owen has done is made a series of artistic choices, not just not just in how he sings, but or in the in the or in the composing or the harmony or the arranging. But I think those choices extend to how he has microphoned the instruments. I think he's had long conversations with the engineer. Um, and this happens on every soundtrack. There's a reason why a Zimmer soundtrack sounds different to a John Williams soundtrack. Hey, they recorded an orchestra. It should sound the same, right? Nope, it doesn't. Why is that? Because they all make different choices about... Uh, where instruments should be recorded, where the microphones should be, what microphones should be used, because different microphones have different ways of picking up instruments. Why some vocalists prefer to sing on a Neumann mic and some vocalists prefer to sing on a blue mic, or I'm just picking random brands out of a hat here. Um, and I think all of that is actually part of the artistic choice. Um, now, some artists are more hands-on than others. Some artists just want to turn up to the studio, sing the damn song, and get the hell out of there and get paid. Um, but Owen clearly is a composer-producer. 
Um, now, I don't know exactly how much input he had on the the album recording process, but given how personal it is, I feel like he, he you know I feel like he exercised a lot of control in in how this uh, in how this album was made. Um, Hybrid are exactly the same. I mean, they produce absolutely everything. They mix everything themselves. Um, they record almost everything themselves, except obviously the orchestra, which you know you need you need to hire an orchestra for that. Um, but then once they've got the recordings, they they handle all of the post production themselves. And it's those kind of artists, the the really hands on one that like kind of get into the nitty gritty of the process those are the artists that really fascinate me which is why i'm grateful that you've introduced me to owen's work because it's like it's a musical auteur at work um and i think hybrid are the same um right that's that's kind of how i how i feel when listening listening to the album did that answer your question yes no i absolutely did absolutely did jason i, I we're probably getting up on time a little bit here jason do we have community questions we do have some oh yeah go for it our first comes from Tim Laro, who asks, uh, why don't more songs use tuba? I'm glad that it's so specific, <laughs> but why don't more songs use tuba? I'm a little biased. I assume Tim plays tuba, uh, but it offers so much character and personality to your bass line. Free the tuba. Uh, Gareth, do you have an opinion? That is an incredible question. That is like, of all the questions I've been asked in like, you know, five or six years of having the privilege to do um you know talk to communities that I've, the tuba has never come up um i've 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 openly trashed the bassoon publicly uh because whoa, i think it's a terrible it's a terrible instrument um and is a waste of time uh but mm-hmm. uh, uh but i can't say the same for the tuba i think the tuba is a wonderful instrument i think the the reason the tuba isn't used more prominently i mean just look at it traditionally in its orchestral setting it's more that composers don't know what to do with it other than be the bass section um that said um, I think you'll often hear the tuba is in especially prominent brass heavy soundtracks. Um, if you look at any of the action stuff recently, um, you'll, you'll hear a lot of low end brass. You won't ever hear the tuba exposed because it's usually doubling the trombones an octave lower. Um, the tuba provides the warm low end to a bass line, um, whereas the trombones provide the attack and the accent to the low bass line. When you combine the mm. two, you get the weight with the tuba and you get the precision with the trombones. And that's that's kind of like an orchestration 101 thing. Also, um, the tuba itself is it's quite a demanding instrument to play. Um, like, if you give it too much to do, it starts to... Yeah, you need a really good player um, to play for an extended period of time, like especially when you're under the pressure of recording a film or game soundtrack. And it also has a very unique character. Um, and I think, you know, one of the reasons it's not more prominent is because it has a limited role in what it can do. And I think composers just haven't found anything beyond that. If we take the bassoon, my opinion of the bassoon is that it's only good for comedy. <laughs> stuff it's 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 a it's a joke it's a joke instrument to me um and the tuba probably unfairly has that the tuba yeah. unfairly has the reputation of being the marching band low end instrument where it goes bum 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 like literally for, for three minutes and that's probably slightly unfair um so it's really i, I think that i'm all on board with you for free the tuba but it also has to be contextually appropriate 
um, and maybe we just haven't figured out the context to use it in yet. That is probably the most I've talked about the tuba. Oh, no, I love it in forever. Uh, but it. I'm I'm going to give you good answers for every any question that you have. That's, I love I love that answer. I'm not I'm not going to weigh in on the tuba. I just want to say everyone out there on social on Twitter hashtag free the tuba. Let's get it let's get it trending. Let's let's free and the tuba. and uh, Man, and, the dist- and dist- and destroy the bassoon. Destroy the bassoon. Uh, hashtag. Yes. Wow. We've you know I love it that we've insulted America. We've insulted our <laughs> our uh, national anthem, and now we've insulted all bassoon players across the globe. So it's I just very think uh, I'll just I'll just qualify my opinion on the bassoon. Right. So so the opening of Stravinsky's Rite of Spring is on the bassoon, but I just think it would sound better on English horn. Um, and uh, yeah, that's very controversial. If uh, I can't believe I've put that in public, but oh well. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, any of the low-end stuff it does, I feel it can be done better by a bass clarinet, which has uh, the same range. So, uh, yeah, I just... So- someone asked me once, why does the Ori 1 soundtrack sound so good? And I'm like, because I didn't use a bassoon. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I, lo- I love this. I love we're getting controversial. I used, on- I used flute, oboe, and clarinet, but I didn't use a bassoon. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Man, you heard was- it here first. <laughs> All right. Jason, what's the next instrument we're going to... Our next... <laughs> <laughs> the next on the hit list. Uh, our next question comes from Charles Davis, who asks, what's the last song that c- got stuck in your head? Uh-oh. Now I get to trash pop music. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I, I, honestly, I honestly struggle with, um, with most pop music. And it, go- it comes back to that McDonald's music thing. Um, like, I think most pop music I remember in the moment, but I, I, ju- I have trouble remembering stuff at the moment um, just because I find... I have to be honest. I find a lot of music being made in the popular, in in the popular realm, um, pretty pretty forgettable. To be honest, um, I I want to listen to music that I will remember in a hundred years, and I th- I I can't think of a single song that's being made at the moment that we'll be listening to in a hundred years. Whereas we'll still mm. be listening to Michael Jackson, Beatles, Led Zeppelin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, in in a hundred years' time. Um, so um, I I really this is depressing. I really can't give you an answer right now. I, I might remember something in like five or 10 minutes, um, but I actually don't have anything for you right now. And that, that's, <laughs> that's okay. I don't know if that says more about me or the state of music in general. Maybe it says something about both. Um, but well, uh, it's, it's good to clear your head a little bit. You create music too. So maybe to have too much floating around up there is an impediment. Yeah, that's, uh, that's true. I mean, and I try not to, uh, I, I, especially when I'm mid project, I try not to listen to, I I have my research phase and then I, I kind of stop listening to other stuff um, Mm. because I don't want to be subconsciously influenced by anything. Mm. Um, I've been very fortunate in my career that I haven't been cursed by the, the temp track um, except, except for immortals where I was cursed by my own music being the temp track, which was, uh, which was actually was fine. Um, but like, um, yeah, I mean, they basically just wanted Greek Ori, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that's like, which is, which I delivered. Um, (laughs) but, uh, um, yeah, it's, uh, um, I, I, it's not really part of my process. Um, I usually find myself like going back to back to older records. I mean, my favorite band to just to purely listen to is Queen. Um, just Ooh, again, yeah. it goes, you know, it kind of ties in what uh, what we've been talking about and like what I like. Like their production value is insane, right. um, mm-hmm. but their songwriting is is deeply fascinating too. Yeah. Um, so, and they definitely, I mean, Queen of all rock bands, probably, you know, they have a very strong, I would say, almost like show tunes, like. Yep, Rogers and Hammerstein kind of like theatric, 
It's very cinematic. Yes. Of, of their, <laughs> and their melodies, I mean, they, they definitely wrote, I think, yes. within the rock idiom, they wrote in a very sort of, I, I would say, old-fashioned kind of way. You know what I mean? Like, yep. That you could almost tie back to, like, early, you know, early 20th century, like, you know, Cole Porter or, or, or people like that, you know, in, within a rock format. Um, I, the song, it's funny you mentioned Michael Jackson. And um, I've had this song. It's not even, like, a prime Michael Jackson song. It's not, you know, Beat It. It's not Thriller. It's not Billie Jean. But I was out walking my dog, and I was coming back home. I was about a you know, half a block from home, and somebody pulled up to pick somebody up in a house, like sort of across the street and down the block. And it's it's winter here, so it's very cold. No one's got their windows open. They were absolutely cranking the song "Black or White" by Michael Jackson, oh, man. the one with like yeah Macaulay <laughs> yep. Culkin and like the yep. video and stuff. I mean, I could hear it like across the street and down the block. And I was just like, wow, I, I love that somebody in 2021, it's January, and they're just like, I'm just going to crank this Michael Jackson tune. So as a result, I've had the song Black or White, like, if you think that did a little in it, that little guitar lick, yep. I've had that in my head for like a week. Every, now. I mean, every Michael Jackson song, it, I feel like it's just, it's it's got enough hooks to, you, you know, one Michael Jackson song could probably produce like a whole album's worth of material um like if you if you really wanted to stretch it out yeah um and it's just the, the level of production on those albums and the the level of songwriting i mean they're, they're, don't get me wrong there's some you know there's some songs that are not quite as strong but if you you know if you look at the very best work it's just like it, it's just insane i mean i mean the fact that the man made you hear literally the first two notes of billy jean's bassline you know it's billy jean because of, yeah. not just because of the notes, mm-hmm. but because of the way it's produced that kind of gets into what I was talking about a few minutes ago, like, uh, you know, how the bass was mic'd up and how it was recorded. Like, you know it because it's that very, very specific sound and then right. the notes kick in. Like, you know, after like two seconds, like that is a, again, that's a whole bunch of um, artistic choices, which I right. I find deeply, deeply fascinating um, as a, you know, because most composers nowadays we're producers too because th- there are composers who like can can churn out the the orchestral music but w- we're moving into an age now where uh film directors and game companies i, I said this right at the beginning they they, they want a sound like they want a mm. recognizable sound for their game and that that is more like a producer thing rather than just like write us a melody and a harmony it's it's a little bit more than that game developers in particular have cottoned on to the fact that you can't just hire an orchestra and expect it to solve all your problems. Like there's got to be some thought behind like how it functions um, in the game. I mean, how many, how many games have you seen where they do, I mean, I'm guilty of this too, where you do the, I feel like the most important thing is releasing the behind the scenes video of how the soundtrack was recorded. And I'm just Mm, like, you know, that's actually not important at all. Like Ori, for example, is regarded as an orchestral soundtrack. But that actually does a disservice to all of the other elements of the music because the reason Ori, I think, sticks with people is actually not because it's an orchestral soundtrack. The orchestra is just one element. If you actually listen to it and break it down, there is a ton of synth work in there. There's a ton of samples. There's a ton of weird-ass instruments in there. There's woodwind instruments that you've never heard of. Like, there's a whole bunch of stuff that is combining to make it feel like Ori, and that's kind of like what people are... um, what people are looking for in soundtracks nowadays they're looking for a mix of the composer but also uh the the artist um to to make their thing stand out if they just wanted if they just wanted someone to write orchestral music i wouldn't be getting hired 
uh, because frankly, <laughs> there's there's a lot of people who can write orchestral music much better than I can. It's about using the string section or the brass section as part of the overall sound palette right to a particular end not just yep. to have it yeah yes exactly and there's there's a lot of games who are like hey we got a 70 piece orchestra and it's like well that's great i can't remember any of the music so what was <laughs> yeah, the, yeah what was the what was the point like um i'd you know i'd much rather listen to something you know if it has an orchestra then great but like what is it doing that only the orchestra could do um and that that's you know what, what what makes it special you know there's some there's some things on ori that i don't think we could have done without a string section especially on the the second game like it needed um in particular a large string section um but trust me you know if i if i'd felt it could have been done um you know i would have saved a bunch of money um because <laughs> it's, it's expensive to record yeah. um so um but uh yeah i mean that's yeah i, I could talk about that all day but uh mm-hmm community questions sorry sure sure <laughs> uh so keys case molder wants to know what genres have you assigned an appropriate context and do you listen to that outside of that context so uh, this is sort of calling back to what i was mentioning earlier mm. about matt's and my dilemma about dance music and uh you know grappling with how, what hybrid is and where and when to listen to it oh okay. um gareth matt are there are there parts of this uh you know are there genres that you like don't listen to outside of a certain context um i guess for me i it's I've noticed this, especially since I've been working from home, obviously since COVID hit. Um, I, in general, my music taste over the past year, just because I've I've spent so much time at my computer at home listening on headphones, I think my music taste has got more instrumental. I think it's got, and maybe this is a reaction to the world around me, it's gotten less aggressive and, and probably more like I've been drawn to more calm kind of things. And it's I think time to listen to some more hybrid. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, but I, you know, it's probably just a reaction to like when the world around right. you feels so, course, uh, yeah. you know, uh, aggressive in so many ways. Uh, the other thing is, I can't. I, I can definitely listen. You know, I, I've been working, listening to Owen Pallet and listening yep. to Hybrid and other things. I, I'm a big personally. I'm a big fan of hip hop, and I've always have been. I, I find that very hard to listen to in certain contexts, particularly working, just because it's so. Um so vocals forward and the vocals are so busy and it's really sort of almost the foundation of what's going on and, and so many lyrics to kind of coming at me that I, I find it hard to concentrate. So um, I think for work, I tend to be drawn to more like jazz stuff or like, you know, I like, like stuff like, uh, you know, Philip glass, um, you know, who's sort of that almost kind of minimalism thing with sort of, just you, you know, video game soundtracks are actually very good for that because a lot of them are designed to get you mm-hmm. into a flow and state of mind. Um, yeah. And I, I only say this because I've seen Ori included in one of these lists, but like there's, there's several lists, like best soundtracks to study to, or to do work to, or to code to. Um, and uh, if you're looking for music like that, you, you can easily do a Google search and you'll find a, you'll, there'll be a bunch of video game soundtracks that actually serve mm-hmm. that purpose. Cause yeah. obviously video game soundtracks are primarily instrumental because uh, vocals during gameplay generally sucks because uh, it's too distracting it's, it's it's for the exact reason that you just said it's like you can't really concentrate on the game if there's a singer wailing at you um <laughs> so um um yeah if you're looking for for contemplative or uh, zen music as i like to call it um even the more intense video game tracks can still actually get you kind of in that flow to work um and uh i I find that fascinating because it's it's like it shows 
how game music has a life outside of its medium and it's not so i never in my wildest imagination would have imagined like why are people listening to this music to study to um because <laughs> uh because for me it's deeply connected to the game experience but like when i mm. look at it in isolation i'm like oh okay it's it's actually it does kind of have a meditative quality to it and a lot of game music has a constant pulse certainly ori does uh, and the reason the constant pulse exists is um, because it's a platformer and you're constantly moving. Um, mm. And that's really the only reason it's there. Um, but that constant pulse is also pushing you forward. And what that does to the brain is also makes the brain feel like it's constantly moving forward. So you feel a little bit more active. One day I will do a PhD on like the effects that music has on the brain. I'm not ready to do it yet, but it's something that through game music I have become very, very, very aware of. Yeah. Like <laughs> how music can affect like your experience during a game and what effect it does have on the brain and flow in general, like that. Um but there there is definitely a link between um you know effective music written for games and how it makes your brain respond and how and how you feel in that moment. Mm -hmm. That's a whole nother podcast. Um, yeah, no, that, I, yeah, again, but, uh, yeah. Please call us for that one first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, the, another thing that we do when we ask for questions is we ask our community for uh, song suggestions. Thank you to everybody who suggested them. Um, they are on our Crossfade community playlist linked in the show notes. Uh, but we've picked one to be played over our outro here, uh, which I'll let Matt take away. It is from Michael Lynch, who suggested The Dirty Projectors, featuring Bjork. Uh, it's called Beautiful Mother from an album that they both uh, created. Um, and I say Bjork correctly because uh, Emily Reese would probably smack me over the knuckles with a ruler <laughs> yeah. or something if I didn't. <laughs> that, was, that was her uh, So, uh, Matt, if you want to give us that out, I think we're ready. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, it's interesting. Dirty Projectors, I think, are you know would probably sort of be considered contemporaries of Owen Pallet in, in certain ways, mm -hmm. so it's an appropriate pick. Um, number one, Gareth, thank you so much for your time. I think this has just been a, a super fascinating conversation, and um, you know, just thanks for your time. Yeah, no worries. I uh, really enjoyed it. Hope I didn't get too off the rails. No, no this no, was no. fantastic. That's, that's thank you. Hope, that's what we're hope, here hope for. I didn't offend too many people. <laughs> no, we're fine. And, <laughs> I'll uh, and, this out there. And, and also just, you know, uh, obviously, you know, congrats to you on all your success. And I'm, I, I think we're really excited for you just because, um, you know, Halo Infinite, I think just for you, it's I, I guess it's kind of like getting a song on the radio. It's just going to take your music to probably a much larger audience than it's ever been. And I think you must be really excited about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's funny because, like, you know, it's, it's not like people aren't aware of, like, my previous work because, because Ori actually, you mm -hmm. know, even if I just look at how many people listen to it on Spotify, it's, 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 it blows my mind. Um, it actually makes me sad that more people listen to Ori than listen to Hybrid, for example. Um, but <laughs> like, um, it, 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 you know, it's the, the, the cool thing about being on Halo is that, uh, it's my fervent hope that, you know, people listen to the Halo soundtrack and then go out and discover some of the other stuff that I've done or some of the other stuff that Curtis and Joel, the other composers, have done. Because because actually, you know, we have quite a body of work between us. I mean, Joel yeah. worked on Death, Death Stranding and a game called The Unfinished Swan, which is tremendous. Curtis worked on a game called Starbound, which has just got a really beautiful score. And, um, you know, these are both, these are, I think, uh, I think Halo will give like a, a, a lease of life for, for all of us to, to some of the other projects that we've had. But obviously the, the, the visibility is pretty, you know, pretty crazy. I, I don't, mm -hmm. you know, there, there won't be a bigger game this year. Um, and the, yeah. but well, to, and what comes with that is 
big expectations as well and as i said earlier you can't please everyone um and uh, i i i i learned to accept that on on ori too because people uh there, there were some people who you know who preferred the ori one soundtrack i'm like well of course uh, you know because there's there's nothing like experiencing something for the first time um, exactly and you know i i am beholden in a sequel to take the dna of the original um but you know there are plenty of people who like the the, the second one more um and you know it's it's, it's going to be the same with halo but uh all we can do is do the the best possible job we can and uh yeah one thing i'm you know i i'm i'm glad that uh you know 343 is taking the time to uh to really uh polish it up before uh whenever it's whenever it's released and he nearly gave away the release date there um, Ooh. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh uh yeah uh I'm, I'm you know i'm looking forward to uh you know uh getting you know getting my hands on the the final game um yeah. you know if, again if there's if there's one thing we've learned um from you know the last year or so it's like you know just just release the thing when it's ready um, exactly i think that's mm-hmm. i think that's just what every i think that's just what everyone wants um you know people want to play things that are as polished as possible when they when they come out and then just enjoy them without having to worry about anything else especially during a pandemic you know and, and there's so many people have been waiting for halo for so long um that uh um yeah i think you know what what's another you know period of time for for it yeah. to be for us to wait man i nearly gave it away again um <laughs> God, period wow. of time uh, <laughs> um so uh yeah but uh yeah, Halo, and then there's yeah. I, it's funny. I've got things that are like three or four years away, which I can't talk about. But like, it's um, a mix of new IP and established IP, and it's uh, I'm I'm just grateful to be working, um, and that people haven't gotten bored of me yet because I've done a lot of stuff in the last five years, and I'm like, surely mm-hmm. it's going to end at some point, um, but uh, not yet, uh, which I'm very grateful for. And uh, um, yeah, thank you to everyone for listening. And if you haven't listen to hybrid i I hope you found something that you enjoyed listening to i certainly enjoyed uh listening to owen pallet who i'd literally never heard of before uh this so just purely for being introduced to a new artist uh, alone thank you very much absolutely and thank you for hybrid we really enjoyed listening to that and it was new to us as well and you know here uh just to, you know, hoping for your continued success and, and, and keep keep growing your career and, and getting exposed to more people. Um, we'd also like to thank our, our Patreon supporters. Um, you know, if you want to participate in things like we have uh, certain special episodes, we did the last episode was Patreon picks from our listeners. We have one at the end of every episode and, and we, you know, have a great back and forth on the uh, the uh, MinMax uh, and, and Crossfade Discord as well. So you can go to patreon.com slash MinMax, M-I-N-N. MAX to support um, Ben and all those guys and everything they're doing. Uh, so just everyone, thanks for listening. Gareth, thanks for your time and thanks for being on. It was really fun and hopefully uh, we can have you back down the road. Sure thing. Thank you so much. Now right. get back to work, man. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Hey.